0: Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamenini And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, depending on when folks are listening to this, obviously, whether it is um, the Patreon version or the regular version, if you are listening after the clock turns to November 12th, you can also, after you're done listening, of course, flip on Disney+. Plus, and it is now live. Um, uh, one thing that is theater related that you might be interested in we will have reviews for High School Musical the musical the series in the show notes if you want to check that out I'm not going to run through them all but uh, they're very good I'm looking forward to that one there's a ton of stuff on there most of the Marvel movies most of the animated uh, musicals uh, uh, Newsies is on there a ton more coming The Mandalorian for Star Wars fans uh, very exciting day big big time uh, pop culture stuff over there
1: yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, shelling out again for another service there, and 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 I've, we've talked about my affinity for The West Wing. Uh, next, Netflix is losing The West Wing to this Warner Brothers service. Now I got to, oh, yeah. I got to get the Warner Brothers service now, which is ridiculous because I own all the West Wing on DVD, <laughs> which is like four and a half. From my television, but
0: you know, right, it's so hard to put those in the DVD player, though. What DVD player? I have the DVDs and no DVD player. Oh, well, that's the problem. Yeah, that's that's an issue.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, throwback to yesteryear, throwback to yesteryear. <laughs> Another throwback to yesteryear is uh, first up in the news Tootsie announces a January closing on Broadway.
0: Yeah, James, that half hour on Monday night, we got the news that we had frankly been expecting for a little while now and that is that the musical adaptation of the film Tootsie would close on Broadway on January 5th. At that point, the show will have played 318 performances at the Marquee Theater. The show was nominated for 10 Tony Awards and won two, one for leading man in a dress Santino Fontana and the other for Robert Horn who who wrote the book. The show will be launching a national tour in October of next year in Buffalo, so gotta shuffle off to there. Um, Now, James, the question that we always ask after a show closes is that obviously first we want to, you know, we send our best to everybody who found out that they were losing their jobs today and hopefully they all find gainful employment soon. But for the nerds uh, of us who have red yarn maps and spreadsheets everywhere, we want to know what's going into that theater next. Now, normally I always have a ton of ideas and I think this could go there. This could be it. But right now, I really don't. The Marquee is a massive theater, so it has to be a big musical. Uh, But the theater itself has a ton of intrinsic issues. It's hard to figure out. It's not the – even once you get inside the Marquee Hotel, it's hard to find the box office. You have to go up these stairs and wait. It's very weird. Um, So I I know that at some point there had been discussions of the Dreamgirls revival going in there. But I don't know what the current status on that one is. Mm But otherwise, I'm really at a loss about what might be circling that could make sense there. I'm totally cool with a surprise. But at this point, I'm really at a loss as to what it might be, James.
1: Huh. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that. Now, we, we, we don't do this much much these days as, as much as it used to happen in the past. But like, uh, would you ever imagine a,
0: a a large hit moving from a smaller house to a larger house? If it wasn't the marquee, yes. Uh, I mean, it's just such a bad theater, and it's huge. I mean, it's 1,600 seats. Like, it would have to be a massive hit that they think will sell forever. And even, you know, people were thinking that, like, Harry Potter was going to sell for a decade. And now at the Lyric, which is, you know, 320-something more seats, it's not doing poorly, but it's not doing that well. So I don't know what would transfer into the marquee. Uh, it's just one of those theaters that it's really tough to find something to work there. It hasn't had a good show. I mean, in a long time. I know we've looked this up before, but it's been many a decade, if ever, you know, since it's not exactly a, a long theater uh, or a super old theater. I, I I really wonder when the last hit was in the marquee. Uh, Margaritaville. No. Well, well played. Okay. Yeah. Played. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, going hand-in-hand with that, why don't you tell us about last week's Broadway Grosses? All right. The Grosses had a massive jump last week, climbing 14% over the previous frame or $4,276,765, despite – only adding a single show, and that show was A Christmas Carol, which only played three performances. The biggest grosses relating news of the day is that on Monday, Hadestown announced that in just 34 weeks, the Tony-winning musical had recouped its Broadway investment of $11.5 million, which, James, that's astounding uh, that it was able to do that that quickly. And I'm very, very happy for them uh, and and really pleased with what that means. For Broadway, Deep Tran had a nice short little Twitter thread and re, re-socialed her article on uh, what the Constitution means to me and talked about some of these properties that aren't doing very well. And this was before Tootsie announced closing, but Tootsie, pretty woman, closing early, frozen and cursed child, uh, underwhelming at the box office. Those things aren't doing well, but what the Constitution means to me did incredibly well. Town is doing gangbusters. Um, so hopefully this is a, a useful reminder to producers that these shows can work if you do them well. So anyway, happy for everybody over at the curve. Anyway, back to the grosses only for the main stems, uh, Only four of the main stems returning 34 shows actually saw numbers in the red last week, so it was good across the board. To Kill a Mockingbird was one of those coming off of the final week of the original cast, so kind of reverting back to the mean. Tina uh, saw numbers dip a little bit, but last week was its opening week. The other two were The Lion King and Aladdin. The biggest gainer of all was Jagged Little Pill, as it went uh, up $916,000 going from a performance— to eight performances. But beyond that, Hamilton had a big pickup back to north of $3 million following the Ham and audience appreciation performances the week before. Then we had Hadestown, Tootsie, and Mean Girls all picking up an additional 200 k as we've been expecting, The Inheritance, as it gets closer to opening and word of mouth gets out, its grosses are increasing nicely, picking up 193000 to come in at 739k. And speaking of The Inheritance, as I asked him to do on yesterday's show, Oliver Roth texted me on Monday morning when he listened to the show and said that Sunday's opening schedule will be Part 1 at 12.30 p.m., a nice long dinner break, and then at 6.30, Part 2 will start, and then they'll party and do all the opening night fun after that. Back to the grosses again. In total, 17 shows saw week-to-week increases in the six figures, so a very nice uh, haul for most shows. Hamilton, with its $3,088,806, was back on top, with Moulin Rouge coming in at $2,018,314 in second, followed by To Kill a Mockingbird, The Lion King, Wicked, Ain't Too Proud, Hadestown, Tina, Aladdin, Beetlejuice, Cursed Child, Jagged Little Pill, The Book of Mormon, Dear Evan Hansen, Frozen, and Come From Away, all north of $1 million. Linda Vista closed out its Broadway run with a modest 12K bump to come in at a smidge over 308000 Now, despite the fact that The Lightning Thief gained, gained more than $132,000, it still was only at 336 k for 39.28% of its gross potential. American Utopia, though, James, on the other hand, is absolutely killing it at 121.53 percent of its potential. It drew nine hundred sixty five thousand four hundred and eighteen dollars last week in just six performances. Obviously, this is the start of a period when shows will be seeing their bottom lines increase. And I don't mean the holidays. I mean, the fact that I'm coming to town and I try to single handedly Mm, keep the theater community afloat for eight to nine days every few months, James.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know, it, it, they all are, you know, getting their balloons ready for and their big banners. Welcome, Matt. You know, <laughs> yes, they're actually confetti uh, like, cannons are all loaded.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. One week after I leave, they're going to give a parade uh, about me having been there. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah.
1: They have t-shirt guns. You ever
0: see the yeah. t-shirt gun? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those are those those are dangerous. Yeah.
1: Yeah, has got them, you know. Chrissy uh,
0: you know Chrissy Don. She she shoots them out into the audience during her during her show, right? I would imagine so. That's actually the first thing that Ben Brantley talked about in his review. Um let's get into Kristen Chenoweth, colon for the girls and the reviews. We talked about its opening the other day. And it didn't get like the the like the the normal rollout of reviews, James. In fact, Ben Brantley's review was kind of a dual review between that and the one night only benefit performance of Ian McKellen's one man show. So it's not a ton, but I'm going to read a little bit from a couple of reviews, including Ben Brantley's. He said, "Quote the beginning of For the Girls, directed by the record and concert producer and celebrated diva handler Richard J. Alexander, found Chenoweth alone on stage, back to the audience in an oversized T-shirt with a seven hundred eleven Big gulp soda on the grand piano. She turned around and feigned exaggerated embarrassment as if we had caught her unaware in her scanties. While it's easy to make fun of stars playing gracious hosts to us little people out there in the dark, an aura of easygoing generosity." and gratitude pervaded both works, meaning hers and McAllen's. Chenoweth repeatedly brought her two highly individual backup vocalists, Crystal Monet Hall and Marissa Rosen, into the spotlight for solos and asked them about their starts in showbiz. Chenoweth, whose freakishly wide-ranging voice can accommodate a multitude of styles, sang Judy Garland favorites, country and western numbers, a Carpenter's hit, and a gospel crowd rouser. Tom Geyer from The Rap said, quote, Chenoweth's vo- voice remains a powerful instrument, rich in tone even in upper registers. And her melisma charms a hint or uh, her and her melisma carries a hint melisma. of twang, melisma. I that's why I kept I kept wanting to say Melania. Mm-hmm. Uh that is definitely not it. Uh carries a hint of twang that belies her Oklahoma Bible belt upbringing. But There's a saminess uh, to the material with lots of Torch songs that's broken up only by the frankly mixed bag of musical guests and novelty numbers. Chenoweth and Barton, an opera singer that was her guest on the night that that critics went, each do a hilarious faux operatic song. It's called Alto's Lament um, that shows off both their training and their pipes. But the supposedly comedic number about text speak is awful AF. If you don't know what AF means... Look it up. Uh, it, it was the musical equivalent of an out of touch suburban uh, out of touch suburban mom joke, and there are other throwaway moments as well. The evening's highlight is the encore, both of them, which includes a literal drop the mic moment where she belts out, "Smile" center stage without amplification. It's a throwback to classic Broadway before performers were wired up with mics that look like moles on their foreheads or orthodontic headgear, and it delivers the kind of goosebumps thrill that is all too rare on the Great White right Way in the 21st century. So this show is only running through Sunday of this week. Uh, as I talked about yesterday, there's a ton of great guests coming up, so ahead, head over to the Niederlander Theater to see uh, something special.
1: Are they taking it around,
0: or is this it? I thought I thought she was going to do a bunch of things around the U.S. Um, she tours all the time. Um, I don't know if I mean she, I'm assuming that this is going to be her standard lineup. She's obviously not going to have a ton of the same musical guests going around, but she tours all the time. So I don't know if this is the repertoire that she is taking on the road. But um, I'm sure it'll be very similar. If it's not,
1: yeah, Alta's Lament is that a Marcin a Marcin song?
0: It yeah. is. Yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah. yeah, it's very good. It's very very good. You know, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't imagine Kristen Chenoweth singing it, but uh <laughs> but... Yeah, it was her it was her guest that I think sang that song and then I think they both got into it. Yeah, oh, cuz there's the there's the high mm-hmm. yeah, soprano parts as well. The melisma. Melisma. Melinda, Melania. Melania. Hmm. <sighs> what do we have <laughs> What do we have in other news? All right. First up, on Monday, it was announced that Angela Sclefani and Benjamin Valise had been awarded the 15th annual Fred Ebb Award for aspiring musical theater songwriters. They will be presented with the awards by Kate Baldwin on December 2nd. Also on Monday, we learned that Tony winner Mark Shaman will compose original music for the Broadway revival of Neil Simon's Plaza Suite, which will begin performances at the Hudson Theater on March 13th. Of course, the show and we'll star real life married couple Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. And finally, on Monday, the upcoming Broadway revival of David Mamet's American Buffalo announced that Darren Chris fans will get a special presale from November 15th at 10 a.m. through November 17th at 5 p.m. I'm assuming that the Lawrence Fishburne fan club uh, is very upset by this. Uh, <laughs> then tickets will go on sale. To the general public on Monday, November 18th at 10 a.m. New York time. If you consider yourself a Chrisaholic or Darrenhead or whatever their fandom nickname is, you can check out the show notes for a link to the pre sale sign up page. They don't call them Chris Angels or something like that. <laughs> Chris's Angels would be very good, actually. That would be very funny. <laughs> They would disappear anytime uh, anyone started to ask questions. Yes, exactly. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. And my name is
1: James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us in New York City. Bundle up some snow in the forecast.
0: Damn it, Janet. Damn
1: it, Janet. I love you. <sighs> Oh, Brad. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, it's gonna snow in New York, and um, so bundle up. And uh, I think uh, I'm. Uh, I, I, I we we had a meeting about this, but I forget who's gonna do tomorrow's show. But somebody will be here tomorrow. We'll talk yeah. to you then. All right, bye. Okay, bye.